Welcome back, y'all. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Today's episode is unfortunate. I wish that this did not happen and that Palestinians were able to pray in their holy mosque freely. But subhanallah, it did happen. And I think it's important that we discuss it and address it. I'm sure a lot of y'all have seen the footage on social media, but essentially, two days ago, Israeli occupation forces violently attacked the Holy Al-Aqsa Mosque. They beat the Palestinian worshippers who refused to leave their holy mosque during the holy month of Ramadan. And in the end, they injured hundreds and arrested over 500 Palestinians. After seeing that footage and seeing what's happening there, I know a lot of us are angry and I would say in pain because it hurts. It hurts to see that stuff happening to our own people, to our holy land. It's painful, it's tiring, it's frustrating, and we're not even there. I can't even imagine the emotions and the, the pain that the people who are living there, who are enduring this, I can't even imagine what they're going through right now. So I feel like it would be an injustice if I did not talk about this. I also recognize that there are a lot of people out there, even within the Muslim community, who do not know the why, how, when, and where's of what's going on. I know that Muslims all over the world feel for Palestine, but there is oftentimes an asymmetry of knowledge for people who don't have actual connections to the land there. Like myself as a Muslim Palestinian, my father, Allah may Allah rest his soul and grant him the highest level of Jannah. Allahumma ameen. He taught me a lot about Palestine and especially growing up here in the West, here in the States, he wanted us to hold on to our culture and our history. And so when we were kids, he would sit us down and he would just go on for hours teaching us, telling stories about our family, uh, our country, our culture, everything. He loved his land and he taught his kids to love that land as well, even though we never lived there. And as I got older, I learned that not all Palestinian parents teach their kids these things. And so I always felt this urge to pass on the information that my father passed on to me, especially after he passed away. Allah yarhamu, I would love for it to act as a sadaqah jariyah, an ongoing charity. By passing on the knowledge he taught me, to people who for some reason care to listen to me. So I, as a Palestinian Muslim, have a connection to the land, to the people, I have a network there, and I have resources to understand the whys, hows, whens, wheres, and whats. And inshallah, I would like to share that information with those who don't have those resources. I also want to help create a space where we can just talk through all of this in a much more casual space, in a more conversational manner, not like a news report or an article where it's all just about stating facts and statistics that's generally more objective and sometimes detached. I want this to be a little bit more of a an emotional-based conversation. It's not a rushed one-minute bite-sized shareable video that only hits the major points. I want to be able to deep dive into what is happening to our people, to our mosque, and to just quickly dabble in some emotional unboxing, as I like to call it. 
watching all of this unravel without being able to do something with my own two hands like right now and physically go help in combination with living in a western country where most people here view my side or view the palestinian side as the bad guys as the wrong side and so it oftentimes feels very isolating but i've found that one of the things that really gets me back up and fully charged and just places a very peaceful, comforting sense of hope in my chest is that after these types of attacks occur, usually when I go to the mosque for Friday prayer or even right now, for example, for Tarawih at the Khatira, the sheikh or imam will give a small talk about what's happening in Palestine and discuss the connection between Islam and the Holy Land and how that is the land of the prophets and why we should all care, why it should hurt us to see these things as Muslimin. And I mean, even just that alone is very comforting. Hearing a Muslim leader address the issue. But what really just takes it home for me is when the Sheikh is giving this khutbah, you can just see in the people's faces, your fellow Muslim brothers around you, you can just see the, the pain that they also feel for Palestine. And I just get overwhelmed with this feeling of unity and connection, knowing that we all are in pain seeing these things happen, that it genuinely affects the entire ummah. And then especially at the end, when the sheikh generally will make collective dua about the people of Palestine and the volume of how loud everyone collectively exclaims ameen. Like when the sheikh will say, May Allah protect the people of Palestine. And everyone just goes, Ameen. And you feel, you feel that they truly, truly mean it. That they genuinely pray for peace for our brothers and sisters in Palestine. Those are the rare moments that I experience as a Palestinian Muslim living in the West where I feel just an exaggerated amount of hope and peace in my chest. But unfortunately, there aren't other spaces out there where we can have those kinds of discussions where I can feel that level of hope and trust in Allah. I can have these conversations obviously with my friends and my family, but it's different when you are in a third space with people whom you do not know, but you just know they pray for Palestine. That is what I want this conversation to be, a place where whether you're Palestinian or not, you as a Muslim are able to obviously not have a conversation with me because this is one way, but be in a space where we can openly and freely talk about Palestine from the perspective as Muslims. So let us get started, inshallah, bismillah rahman rahim I want to start off by asking the question, what exactly is happening? I'd like to talk through step by step what happened and give a little bit more context and nuance to what went down. So like I mentioned a couple days ago, Israeli occupation forces attacked Al-Aqsa Mosque. Note that this is not a one-off situation. This is actually an annual occurrence. It is essentially now a routine where every Ramadan, Palestinian Muslims expect for Israeli occupation forces to attack Al-Aqsa and increased violence against Palestinians all throughout the country. This happens 
every single Ramadan. And it's not unique to Palestinian Muslims. This also happens to Palestinian Christians. Every Palm Sunday, Easter, Christmas, Palestinian Christians are attacked. Their religious holy spaces are attacked by Israelis, and they are prevented from worshiping as they please. Now, specifically with Al-Aqsa, it all started two days ago when Israeli occupation forces broke into the Al-Aqsa compound fully armed. Their objective was to completely clear out the entire Al-Aqsa compound. Now, some people don't know exactly what Al-Aqsa means. Some people think it's the Gold Dome. Some people think it's the Qibli Masjid, when in actuality, all of that is Al-Aqsa. And that's why you'll often hear me or other people refer to it as the Al-Aqsa compound, because it's this huge open space with the Gold Dome, the Dome of Rock, and the Qibli Mosque, and a bunch of other prayer halls and praying spaces that make up the entire Al-Aqsa compound. And so even the open spaces in front of the Dome of Rock or outside of the Qibli Mosque, that's all considered Al-Aqsa. And Al-Aqsa is situated within the walls of the old city of Jerusalem. It's kind of like this huge fortress that has doors that you can enter. These are massive gates and are the only ways for you to enter the old city. There are different religious quarters within the old city, like the Jewish quarter, the Muslim quarter, the Christian quarter, and then the Armenian Christian quarter. And so obviously Al-Aqsa is situated in the Muslim quarter. Now, Al-Aqsa Mosque is run and managed by, obviously, Palestinian Muslim leadership. However, the Israeli forces have zero regard to who's in control of this mosque. That is why you'll hear the words like they stormed in or they infiltrated or invaded Al-Aqsa compound. Outside of these situations, the only people who are allowed to enter Al-Aqsa are Muslims as a way to protect the Al-Aqsa mosque and not make it a like little tourist destination for Instagrammers. These Israeli occupation forces are not supposed to be in the Al-Aqsa compound. They literally had to break in to enter. So anyway, they break in fully armed, yelling and pointing their guns at Palestinian worshippers, telling them to leave. These are Muslims of all ages, praying, reading Quran, making dua, and these essentially invaders are telling them to stop praying, stop reading your Quran, stop talking to Allah, and get out with zero communication or explanation as to why they just want them gone they do not do this nicely it is very aggressive and it is very violent oftentimes they will just start running around with batons and hitting people in the knees even if a palestinian is very clearly following instructions and leaving the mosque they'll still just grab their baton and smack him in the knees all because they have the power to do that and there are no consequences so it's kind of like a free-for-all for these israeli forces to do whatever they want to these palestinian worshipers now some of these palestinian worshipers do end up leaving the mosque however some choose to stay and refuse to leave and this will help clarify what exactly a lot of us are seeing in these videos of what's happening in the Al-Qibli Mosque. So there is this group of Palestinians who are refusing to leave. They are generally, not always, but generally young Palestinian men, usually between ages like 16 to mid-20s or 30s, the majority of them, not all. Sometimes there are the old Sidus or Tetas 
who just don't want to get up. They're comfortable reading their Quran and they don't want to leave. Now, as we all know, this is occurring, one, during the holy month of Ramadan. So the Al-Aqsa compound is constantly filled with Palestinians. Day, evening, Isha, Fajr, it's packed. And two, to re-emphasize, it is a holy mosque. This is Islam's third holiest site, the third holiest mosque to over two billion Muslims around the world. After the Kaaba and Prophet Muhammad's mosque, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we have Al-Aqsa. I'm sure a lot of y'all already know that, but I need to point that out to explain my next point. So to kind of put yourself in their position, these are Muslims who are praying in the holy month of Ramadan at the third holiest mosque in the world. Imagine you are sitting in your mosque praying while fasting, you turn around and an armed Israeli occupation soldier is standing behind you with a gun pointed to your head, telling you, to stop praying and get out. Now that should draw a very clear image for you guys. Because what a lot of people do, especially in journalism with these articles about what's happening and referring to it as clashes, quote unquote, they often say, well, if the Palestinians would just leave, they wouldn't have to get violent with them. <laughs> this isn't your local Walmart. Okay, this isn't a drive through McDonald's. This is a holy mosque during a holy month. So for these Palestinian Muslims, this is a matter of protecting their holy mosque from these invaders who are clearly there to cause physical harm and prevent them from worshiping as they please. These are people who Allah himself chose to protect the holy mosque, okay? These Palestinians understand the importance of this mosque in our faith and because of that, are very defensive over the mosque and won't just clear it out willy-nilly because these invaders told them to. So what they end up doing, those of them who stayed and refused to leave, they close the gates to the Al-Qibli Mosque, which is one of the main prayer halls in the Al-Aqsa compound. This is the really big one, the one with the red carpet, the one that we all see in these videos. So they close these gates to stop the invaders from entering that specific prayer area. At this point, they have generally already cleared out all the other praying areas, including the Dome of Rock. But this is the one and generally the last space that Palestinians will just refuse to leave and will stand and protect. And so that's why you will see a lot of footage of Palestinians inside the Qibli praying hall with the gates closed and they will often push up heavy furniture in front of the gates to prevent the invaders from entering and start chanting collectively, Allahu Akbar, Allah is greater. Sometimes they'll also chant the Shahada and say, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. Other times they will chant, Birruh biddam bifdiq ya aqsa, which means with my soul and with my blood, I will protect you, O Al-Aqsa. Protect being a rough translation. But that should give you some insight into what exactly is going through the minds of these Palestinians when they have these military forces on the other side of these gates ready to enter. For a lot of them, this is a matter of life or death. They would rather die than let someone come and destroy and take over Al-Aqsa. These are just your average Palestinian Muslims who were there to pray. They are unarmed, standing up against one of the wealthiest, most advanced, and well-funded military systems in the world. And despite these massive heavy gates being closed and barricaded, these Israeli occupation forces slowly but surely make their way in to the mosque. And what they do is they 
slowly crack open the doors and start shooting in tear gas, sound grenades, smoke bombs. They'll shoot uh, rubber-coated steel bullets, anything to get these Palestinians to move away from the gates because they're the ones keeping it closed. So they start shooting at these Palestinians and obviously they slowly retreat away from the doors. The Israelis eventually are able to get the gates completely open and they all swarm in at once. They barge in very aggressively. The Israelis have all this military equipment whereas these Palestinians generally, if they have anything, it's just rocks they have to throw to defend themselves and protect the mosque. Another thing that you'll see a lot of in these videos is fireworks going off inside the mosque. That is actually from the Palestinians. They use the very minimal resources that Palestinians have access to, like fireworks. They use them to aim at the invaders and try to detract them from entering. And that's why in these videos, it looks like there are fireworks going off inside because they are literally fireworks. But obviously, the Israelis have all the advanced weaponry. They finally make their way in and begin grabbing all these Palestinians, shooting at them with these rubber-coated steel bullets, even in close proximity to them. They will start very violently beating them with batons. Men, women, children, older men, it doesn't matter. If you refuse to leave, they're gonna beat you. Once they have general control over all these Palestinians, they will lie them down on their stomachs, tie their hands behind their backs, and take them all to jail. That is pretty much it. After they escort all these Palestinians to jail, at that point, the Holy Al-Aqsa Mosque is cleared of all Palestinian Muslims, which as a Palestinian and as a Muslim, for me is just a very painful thought to think that this, this holy mosque where all of our prophets walked at some point is just cleared of our ummah. And what makes this even worse is that once the invasion of the mosque begins, they take control of the entrances and exits of the Al-Aqsa compound. They know that the Palestinians are going to put up a fight. They know that these Palestinians are going to be injured, but they close the entrances and exits and prevent all Palestinian medics, all Palestinian ambulance from entering and helping these injured Palestinians. So even those who are very, very seriously injured are just sitting in the mosque bleeding out. That is until the Israeli forces feel gracious enough to let Palestinian medics in and serve the injured. And this is why you also might have seen footage of Palestinians using the Adhan speaker systems in the old city of Jerusalem to call for help. They use the speaker systems that are specifically for calling people to prayer, the Adhan. They grab that microphone and start screaming for people to help these injured Palestinians who are bleeding and slowly dying. They even oftentimes use these speakers to call for other Palestinians to go protect the mosque from these invaders. And I actually want to play a sample for you guys, for those of y'all who don't know what I'm talking about, because for me, honestly, it sends shivers down my spine.
So now, hopefully, when y'all see this occurring on social media, you have a better understanding of what exactly is going on. Moving on to the question of why is this happening, important note, Israel is the governing power over all Palestinians, whether they're Palestinians in the occupied West Bank, in Gaza, or in the quote-unquote state of Israel. Obviously, us Palestinians do not call it Israel. Generally, we refer to it as 48, or 48, which is short for 1948, the year that the state of Israel was established and hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were ethnically cleansed from the land. I myself use that word a lot, especially in my content about Palestine. So if you ever hear me or any other person say 48, we're talking about the land of current day, quote unquote, Israel, whose population is made up of 20% Palestinians. So there are Palestinians in occupied West Bank, in Gaza, and in 48. They are all essentially governed and restricted differently, but in the end, all governed by Israel. Now, with that being said, to answer the question of why does Israel do this to the Palestinians at Al-Aqsa? One of the main reasons they do it is to instill fear in the Palestinians. And that kind of sounds very vague and very dark, but that is the reality. It is a very strategic power move to remind Palestinians that they do not have power. It is to remind them who is in charge, who is the boss, to reinforce a, a lack of safety and security for the Palestinians so that they remember that even in their holy mosque, they are not safe. To signal to the Palestinians that the only reason they are praying at that mosque is because Israel allows them to. It is a fear tactic, and they believe that if they consistently, repeatedly instill this concept of fear in the Palestinian people, generation after generation after generation, eventually the Palestinians will give up. Because the reality is their end goal, and this is not something that I'm saying, this is something that they themselves have made very clear. The government of Israel has explicitly said these words. Their objective is to clean out all Palestinians from that land. Not my words, you can literally Google it. They use this weapon of fear to keep Palestinians, quote-unquote, under control. This is one of the reasons why, ever so often, Israeli occupation forces will invade Palestinian cities in the occupied West Bank, rolling in with their tanks and weapons, and not just using tear gas and stun grenades. No, this is where they actually go in and kill Palestinians in cold blood. Then they leave the city, and that's it. Nobody's held accountable for those deaths. That's just how things are done. They use these tactics to make Palestinians too scared to fight back, to say anything, to stand up for their right to worship as they please. But unfortunately, joke's on them, because <laughs> Palestinians are the last people on earth to be scared, to give up, to just leave their land and leave their holy mosque. <laughs> yeah, no. They chose the wrong <laughs> they chose the wrong land. They chose the wrong people. And this is why the occupation it, it can't last. It's not built to last because Palestinians who are a majority, I believe like 90 to 95% Muslim, as Muslims, they believe and recognize 
it is their duty to protect the holy mosque. These are Muslims who have zero ties to this dunya. They don't care if they lose it. Allah gave these people a level of strength and bravery that is just beyond this dunya. It's not from this dunya. Knowing how committed and motivated they are to protect that mosque. They will literally sacrifice their lives to protect that mosque. But there are extremist right-wing Zionist movements in Israel who have openly communicated their objective of destroying Al-Aqsa Mosque and building another Jewish temple there. And I just know that Palestinian Muslims would never let the destruction of Al-Aqsa begin without physically sacrificing their bodies to protect the Holy Mosque. And that is why the occupation just, it won't last. It can't. They literally <laughs> chose the wrong people to mess with. Allah chose these people to protect the Holy Land. We as Muslims outside of that world will never understand what that means. We'll never truly understand what that means. Regarding this movement to destroy Al-Aqsa and build a Jewish temple, a lot of Palestinians are speculating it is very, very slowly in the works. And they are slowly building up to either splitting Al-Aqsa in half, half for Muslims, half for Jews, or just destroying the mosque in its entirety and building a Jewish temple. And that is one of the reasons why Palestinians are so defensive and protective over the mosque right now. Because one of the reasons why Israeli forces want to clear out Al-Aqsa of Palestinian Muslims is to allow Jewish Israeli settlers to illegally enter the mosque and walk right through it. And that is something relatively new. That was not allowed however many years ago. It has historically been strictly open to Muslims. No non-Muslims were allowed to enter until Israeli forces said, no, now we are going to allow Jews to enter when they want. And so Palestinians are viewing these invasions of Al-Aqsa as the first step to destroying Al-Aqsa and building a Jewish temple in its place. And as we all know, Palestinians will not let that happen without a fight. Now, I want to address some false claims that you'll often see online, on social media. I know a lot of us, especially us Muslims, we don't believe it when it comes from their side, but I want you guys to be informed when you hear these BS claims that Palestinians are the ones to blame for these Al-Aqsa attacks. So anti-Palestinians and Zionists will often claim that the individuals who barricade themselves in the mosque, the ones who push up the furniture and try to keep the Israeli forces out, these Zionists will claim that those individuals are terrorists, that they are not there to pray, and that they actually were called once Israeli forces entered the mosque, these supposed individuals were called to come in and start making a mess out of everything. And those videos of the mosque completely just destroyed with Qur'ans just thrown everywhere and the carpet completely just messed up. They'll claim that that was all done by these supposed terrorists, not by the Israeli forces. They claim that Israel is the one trying to do this peacefully. They want to peacefully clear out Al-Aqsa Mosque. But the Palestinians, these supposed terrorists, are ruining it for everybody. We love Muslims and we give them their freedom to pray. But 
on our terms and when we say they can. When really, these people who are barricading themselves inside the mosque are just average Muslim Palestinians who are praying at the mosque during Ramadan who turn around and there's all of a sudden a fleet of armed Israeli forces pointing guns at them, telling them to get out and leave. So they get up and think, hell no, are you kidding me? They stand up, start chanting Allahu Akbar, and refuse to leave to protect the mosque. It's literally as simple as that. In general, Zionists will often pull the terrorist card as a way to villainize and antagonize the Palestinians and position the Israelis as the peacemakers and the loving ones, the people who love democracy and freedom of choice, freedom of religion. That is the card they use and they have been using to convince the West that they are the good people and we are the bad ones. Because the first thing that people bring up when I have this discussion and I share all of the bad things that are happening to my people. The first thing these people who don't know a lot about what's going on there, generally your standard American, they will respond with, oh, that's so sad, but what about Hamas? So now you should understand how we get to that point where there are Palestinians in the mosque trying to stop Israeli forces from entering. And hopefully you can better defend the Palestinian Muslims when you have discussions about this with other people. And moving on to the last question, what can we do? And this is a question I get asked a lot from my fellow Muslims on social media in response to my content on Instagram and TikTok about what's happening in Palestine. Now, important note, I am not a representative of the Palestinian cause, okay? I am just any other Palestinian Muslim stuck in diaspora, stuck outside of Palestine, but wants to share what's happening to my people as a Palestinian and as a Muslim. Yes, we are all part of one struggle, but every Palestinian has their own story. They have their own approach. And so take what I say merely as advice coming from one Palestinian Muslim. That is it. For me, the number one thing that you can do, the most effective thing that you can do to help the cause is focus on awareness. Do not underestimate sharing footage of what's happening to your story on Instagram, to posting about it on TikTok or Twitter or your Facebook. Understand the power that you have within your network of people to spread the message of what is happening. So many people just complain and say, oh, I just feel like sharing on my story isn't gonna do anything. And half the time Instagram deprioritizes my posts and nobody sees my stories, nobody sees my posts about Palestine. Mm, sorry to say, buddy, this isn't about you. It's not about you feeling like you did something. The important thing is that you did do something. You shared that video, you posted that thing on your timeline, and you literally never know who is going to see that. You never know if that's going to change the mind of one person in your community, in your network, and help them realize that this isn't a conflict, that this isn't just Palestinians and Israelis not getting along. No, it's an occupation. It's a genocide. It's ethnic cleansing. All of the above. If you're able to convince someone, directly or indirectly, to stand with the Palestinian cause, you're doing your job. That's all that matters. Don't make this about you not feeling like you're contributing. Stop. Share that post and don't make it about you. But do not be messy. Do not be careless with what you say. Be diligent, be strategic, and understand that there are powers 
out there. So speak the truth, but be smart and be safe. Second thing that you can be doing to help is donating to organizations that are on the ground in Palestine. Now, because Israel is the governing power over the Palestinians, they obviously do not give them the resources that they need to succeed as a people. So there are a lot of Palestinians who are in need of very basic necessities like food, water, electricity, medical attention, education, all of these things. There are plenty of organizations out there who help with all those. Now, I don't like throwing up the donate now call to action whenever things like Al-Aqsa attacks are occurring. And that's not that I don't do it, but I, I'm hesitant to do it because I feel like it might distract people from the actual issue and slowly start conditioning people to think that the solution to these Al-Aqsa attacks is just donating. And that's just, that's just not it. Obviously, Palestinians need water, they need food, they need education and all these things. But understand that even if they have all those things, Palestine will still be under occupation. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that donating is not important. I'm simply trying to emphasize that donating helps the livelihood, spreading awareness helps the cause. There are a few well-known organizations that I know a lot of people donate to, and they're generally pretty reputable, so I'll try to put them in the captions or descriptions of this episode, inshallah. The third thing that you can do to help is to physically go to Al-Aqsa. Now, I know that this is controversial for some people. I fully recognize that there is a level of privilege that comes with being able to go to Palestine. So generally, if you have a Western passport like America, Canada, Britain, it's a lot easier for you to go to Jerusalem. My recommendation would be to fly to Jordan, to Amman, and then take a taxi or a bus, which is about an hour away from the border of the West Bank. And from there, you go to Al-Aqsa. Go there, experience the Holy Mosque, feel that connection, and experience what these Palestinians go through on a daily basis. Now, I recognize that there is a bit of controversy when it comes to people going to visit Palestine, especially because there are so many Palestinians who do not have the right to go back, even with a an American passport or a Canadian passport. One of the main reasons why I try to encourage this to my fellow especially my fellow Muslims out there, to go see Al-Aqsa for yourself. One of the main reasons why I encourage this is because when I went there for the first time and I spoke with the local Palestinians, the older generation who was born and raised in the old city of Jerusalem, their families have lived there for centuries and centuries. They own shops, they own markets in the old city. And when I talk to them, one of the main questions they ask me, knowing that I live in America, is why don't more Muslims come visit Al-Aqsa? And the first time I heard that, my heart shook. I had no words. I, I didn't know what to say. I was just, I just like stood there. And after I was eventually able to collect my thoughts, I said, I think most Muslims don't come because there's a lack of understanding and a lack of information out there about what it's like to actually come. That being said, I think it is important that we Muslims, at least, as a religious community and ummah, that we are building a relationship between our ummah and Al-Aqsa. The same way that there was a relationship with Muslims going to Umrah or Hajj and then going straight to Medina right afterwards. Well, what if your journey was Mecca and then Medina and then 
going and swinging by Jerusalem. And I recognize that this is my perspective as a Muslim Palestinian. And I often hear the argument of this isn't a, a religion issue. This is not a matter of being Muslim. It's a matter of supporting human rights, which I get and I respect. But for me, as a Palestinian Muslim, above my motivation to talk about Palestine as a Palestinian is my motivation to talk about Palestine as a Muslim because that is what my religion teaches me. And I think it's important that we recognize everybody has their own reasons, their own motivations to support the struggle. And I think that we need to respect that because the reality is majority of the people in this world who support the Palestinian cause are Muslim. And the reason why they support the cause is because they are Muslim. And it's important that we recognize that and we respect that. And that Al-Aqsa is considered holy land to two plus billion Muslims in the world. And if you feel that urge to go see this place, go do it. I know it's not easy. I know it might be scary for some people, especially if you don't know anybody who's gone and can talk you through it. But if you have the means of going and finding that connection to Allah, why not? I've always wondered how these Al-Aqsa attacks would go down if the mosque was completely packed with Muslims from all over the world every single day. Can you imagine that? Like if the mosque were constantly guarded by thousands of Muslims from every part of the world, how would these attacks differ? SubhanAllah. So to me personally, that's another way to help out. Go see the mosque, go see the Holy Land, connect with the people there, get a personal understanding of what is going on and the importance of protecting it. But finally, and most importantly, the best thing that you can do for the cause is prayer. When it comes down to it, when this all boils down, this is all the decree of Allah and we cannot change that. What has happened, what is happening, and what will happen is guided by Allah. He is the all-knowing, He is the all-aware, the all-seeing, the all-hearing. He is our creator. He created us, He created this earth, He created the Holy Land. And so the best thing that we can do is pray to Him. And I know it might seem repetitive and monotonous, but that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we are taught to do as Muslims. You pray for those who are suffering, and you pray for those who are protecting our holy mosque. For us Muslims outside of Palestine, there is a debt that we will never be able to pay back to the Muslims who are protecting Al-Aqsa. First and most important thing you can do is pray for them. I ask that Allah continues to give them relentless strength and bravery and courage to protect the holy mosque. May He grant victory to the Muslims at Al-Aqsa. And may all Muslims around the world be able to one day visit Al-Aqsa themselves. Allahumma ameen. Inshallah, that is the end of this episode. I have not edited this, but just based on how long I've been talking, I feel like this is going to be a really long episode. If you have come thus far, then inshallah, you have a beautiful evening or day. Remember to keep spreading awareness and keep praying for those who are protecting our holy mosque. Assalamu alaikum ya habayib.